Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Aaron. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Coastline Church. Those of you that joined us last week for Easter for the first time, let me welcome you back and say we're so glad to have you join us again on this journey of faith that we're on together as a church family. If you're tuning in for the very first time to our church, we want to say a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you chose to be a part of this experience today. Now, we're in a season in America right now, in the world right now, that is very, very unique. This COVID-19 has affected all of us. All of us have had to make adjustments to our life, and our life is changing right now. And with that, one of the things I'm noticing is there is a lot of fear in the world today right now. Fear, it's producing anxiety, it's producing stress. We see it producing depression in people's life. And honestly, with everything happening, there's a lot to be afraid of if you're not careful. Well, what I want to help you with today is I want you to understand as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have very powerful weapons that God has given us to fight fear with. But you got to understand what those weapons are and how to use them if you're going to stand against fear in your life. So what we want to do is is understand that as a believer, we have a spirit of faith and we want to operate and exercise our faith during this season. Now, we don't want foolish faith. This doesn't mean we neglect wisdom. We need wisdom in our life also. So we operate as believers by faith and wisdom at the same time. So what I'm going to do today, uh, one of the things that I feel like some people may have gotten off a little bit on is when you look at Psalm 91, it is a weapon, but you have to understand what weapon it is for you to be able to use it in a fight. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people turning Psalms 91 into the wrong weapon and it's not working for them. So I want to show you today how to effectively use Psalm 91 to fight fear that comes against you, to fight the anxiety, to fight the depression, to fight the different things that are attacking our spirit right now. It reminds me of the song, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Uh, You know, I may feel like I'm surrounded, but the truth is I'm surrounded by you. I was was looking at the origin of that song. The the writer of the song said she got it out of 2 Kings chapter 6, which is all about Elisha and his servant. And they're surrounded by an enemy army. And his servant is freaking out because they're surrounded. And and he's like, I'm surrounded and we're going to die. And they're more than us. And then all of a sudden, Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes. And he opened his eyes and he realized the enemy was the one that was actually surrounded because God had angels and chariots of fire surrounding the enemy. And so what the song is all about is declaring the truth. This is how we fight battles. We go on the offensive. We fight a battle with offensive weapons. And that's what I want to show you today is how to turn Psalm 91 into an offensive weapon. We've been looking at verse one and two over the last few weeks. I want to dig into verses three through eight today and pull some truth out and then show you how to practically apply it to your life. Look at verse three with me. It says, surely, surely, not maybe, not possibly, not it might happen, Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Every trick of the enemy, God will deliver you from. And from the perilous pestilence. Perilous is deadly. Pestilence is a virus or disease. So you can look at this as COVID-19. He will deliver you from COVID-19. And then verse four, we looked at that a few weeks ago. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will take Refuge. It's a picture of God being a mother hen, a God that we serve and live for that is willing to lay his life down for his children. And that's exactly what Easter was all about. Our God went to a cross on behalf of us. And then it goes on to say, his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Meaning that God is not only a God that loves you so much, he's willing to lay his life down for you, but our God is a mighty warrior full of power that will fight on your behalf. And then I love this. You will not be afraid of the terror by night. You will not be afraid of the terror by night. Do you realize fear is worse at night than in the daytime? 
Talk to anybody that struggles with fear. Fear is worse in the nighttime. And I believe the reason it's worse at night is because we're, we're not preoccupied with anything. During the day, there's a lot that preoccupies our mind from work, family, our house, our job, career, children. There's so much going on that you really don't have a whole lot of time just to sit and think. But at night when, when the kids are in bed and you're all done with work and you've kind of settled the house down to go to sleep, that's when fear hits the worst at night. And it goes on to say, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence, the, the, the virus, the deadly disease that walks in darkness. You know, one of the things that is so difficult right now with the coronavirus and COVID-19 is so much about it is unknown. We don't have a vaccine yet. We don't have a cure yet. We don't know how long this is going to last or how much it's going to affect or change our life physically or financially or economically. It's walking in darkness. It's walking in the unknown. Eventually, we will beat it. But right now, there's a lot of fear. It goes on to say, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. Now for something to fall at your right hand, it's got to be very, very close to you. But God's promise is it will not come near you. Only with your eyes, you will look and see the reward of the wicked. And the reward of the wicked is, is their judgment. It's the reward for the wickedness they've committed. And can I tell you, you don't want to be rewarded for wickedness. It's not, it's not the type of reward that you want to receive. But I want to go back to that one line. It will not come near you. Though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, it will not come near you. I want you to say that with me right now, just declare that out loud. Wherever you're at, if you're sitting in your bedroom, your living room, your house, if you're watching with people or by yourself, let's just say this together. It will not come near me. Say that Say that with me right now. It will not come near me. We declare that by faith. Now, why do we say that? Because so many of us, we believe that in order for God to protect us, everything in our life has to be easy and okay. So if God's going to protect me, then I'm never going to go through a storm. If God's going to protect me, I'm never going to go through challenges in my life. I want you to, I want you to get this, this picture in your mind. Imagine you're in a parade, a parade that's going right down, you know, the the main street of your town, right, right, right down the main drag. And all of a sudden on the speaker system, they announced today marching in the parade, we have 11,000 and one people marching in the parade. And, and you're in the parade with 11,001 people. So there's 11,000 people next to you and you're walking down the street and all of a sudden snipers on the roof open fire and a thousand people on your left fall dead. And then snipers on the right begin to open fire and they're all over the roof. It's an entire army and 10,000 people at your right hand fall dead. So you're standing on the street and there's 11,000 people dead all around you and you alone are standing there. Can you imagine how you would feel? Can you imagine that experience? God said it will not come near you. Now, here's the problem. God's definition of near and my definition of near are very, very different. If I was in that experience and I had 11,000 dead people surrounding me and I was the last man standing, uh, I, I think that's a little too close for comfort in my book. Like, like that, that's a little too near me. Like, like, again, what God thinks is near and what I think is near are very, very different. I remember when I was a youth pastor at the Dream Center in Los Angeles, we were reaching a lot of the gang members there in the inner city of Los Angeles and I'd go out in the afternoon of our youth service and I would hang out on the streets and I'd talk to gang members and we'd bring a bus out. We'd pick up any teenager that wanted to come to church. And I was standing on a corner with a number of of young men in in that local community. Few of them were still active gang members. Few of them had become Christians and had come to church and had left the life of gangs. And we were out just inviting them to church. 
And so me and the, the kids that were part of the church, the ones that used to be gang members, were talking to the kids that were actual gang members and just saying, hey, why don't you come to church with us? We're leaving now. Walk with us right now. Let's get on the bus and let's go. And they said, no, no, we're not going to church. We don't. And we walked away. Well, it wasn't 30 seconds later. I mean, we were half a block away when a car turned the corner, drive-by shooting, and unloaded right on that corner. And one of the young men we were standing with fell dead. Can I tell you, that was near. But God said, it will not come near you. Now, in my opinion, that was too close. In my opinion, I mean, I'm 30 seconds away, half a block away from being in the middle of a drive-by shooting. But God made a promise, it will not come near you. But, but the question that I think a lot of us wrestle with is how could God allow me into that situation in the first place? Like, why would God allow me in that storm? If God was for me, why would I even have a close call to begin with? Why, 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 would, it, why would I be in the middle of all of this if God was for me? The truth is God does allow difficult times in our life. I mean, Jesus made you a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. You see, he never said that you wouldn't go through stuff in life. What God said is stuff would not go through you. That God would protect you in the middle of the storm. But there are storms that we're going to face in life. And Satan's strategy in the storm, if you look at what Satan wants to do in the middle of the storms of your life, Satan wants to paralyze you with fear. He wants you to take your eyes off of God, put your eyes onto the situation, onto the storm, onto the crisis, onto the giant, and then all of a sudden the fear begins to debilitate you and paralyze you and you begin to lose hope. Think about Peter in the Bible. He has faith. He sees Jesus. He gets out of a boat. He's walking on water in the middle of the storm and he's doing fine because his eyes are on Jesus. But if you notice what Satan does in the middle of it, Satan convinces Peter to take his eyes off of Jesus and look at the circumstances. Take his eyes off of Jesus and look at the storm around him. And as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the storm he was in the middle of, fear set into his heart and he began to sink in the water. You see, it's critical that we keep our eyes in the right place because Satan in the middle of COVID-19 is gonna try to paralyze you with fear. He's gonna to try to debilitate you with fear. And it's all about what are you seeing? Think about the 12 spies that went in to spy out the promised land when, when Joshua and the Israelites were gonna go take the promised land. 12 spies went in, all, all of them came back. 10 of the spies saw the reality of the situation without God and it produced fear in their heart. Two of the spies saw the very same reality with God and it produced faith in their heart. It's all in how you're looking at the situation. Are you looking at the giant with God? Are you looking at the storm with God? Are you looking at coronavirus with God on your side? A thousand will fall to your left and 10,000 to your right, but it will not come near you. Are you standing in faith with the weapons that God has given you? Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me make this very clear. God's first mission is not to make the circumstances go away. God's first mission is to take the fear out of your heart and out of your mind so that you can be a light to other people in the storm. The world is looking for someone to be a solid, stable rock in the middle of chaos. And the only way we can do that is when we stand in Christ because Christ alone is the rock. But what I need in my life is I need to know how. Because it's not enough right now to simply tell people, don't be afraid, God's got this. Don't be afraid, God's got that. That's good, but I need a little bit more than a motivational pet talk. I need to know how to not be afraid. Because motivation alone, you're not gonna motivate fear out of people. You're not gonna just tell people, don't be afraid, and then all of a sudden they're gonna stop being afraid. Some of you have tried. Like some of you right now are dealing with fear and you're dealing with anxiety and people around you have said, you don't need to be afraid. And you're like, well, how do I stop? Like, how do I, how do I get this feeling to go away? Because all I feel right now is fear and you're not motivating it out of me. See, this is the thing. You cannot motivate fear out of people. So I'm gonna make this very, very practical for you today. And I'm gonna show you how to turn Psalm 91 into the right type of weapon. 
See, a lot of people are using Psalm 91 as a prayer. Psalm 91 wasn't intended to be a prayer. And if you use it as a prayer, it's not gonna work the way it was intended to work in your life. So I'm gonna show you how we use Psalm 91, turn it into a weapon to com combat the fear that, that Satan is bringing against you right now. Look at this verse. This is a verse I'm making my son memorize right now because he's been dealing with some fear. I'll talk about that in just a little while. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. I encourage you to memorize this verse. Get this one deep inside of your heart so that you can say it when you need to say it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear. What God has given you is power, love, and a sound mind. I'm gonna say three things today that I want you to understand if you're gonna fight fear in your life. Here's number one, fear is a spirit. Fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is not a feeling. Fear is a Spirit. Now, fear produces feelings. Fear produces frightening emotions inside of us. But before the feeling ever came, there was a spirit behind the feeling. It was spiritual long before it ever became emotional in our life. You see, fear starts with a spiritual being. Fear is not some, you know, essence or, or mystical force out there. Fear is a person. You see, Satan and all of his demons, they have the capacity to generate fear in your life. Look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They sinned. The very first thing Satan did is put fear in them. The Bible says they were afraid of God and they hid. You see, fear makes us turn from the one and the one alone that can actually help us. And that's Satan's strategy in our life. What fear is, is a manifestation of the presence of an enemy. Fear doesn't mean you're, you're possessed with fear. It just means it started as a spiritual attack that now has developed into a stronghold in your mind, but it was all a spiritual attack. And that's why I say a pep talk is not going to help you. Like I'm not going to motivate fear out of your life. Me sitting here and saying, don't be afraid. God is for you isn't going to help you a whole lot because you need more than inspiration to deal with fear. It's just not enough. If that's all that you're hearing from people is don't be afraid, you're going to continue to struggle with fear. You need to know exactly what to do. Have you ever been to a sporting event and uh, the team that you like or maybe the other team, they have a terrible first half. They, they, they play terribly during the first half. And then they go into the halftime locker room and then after halftime, they come out and they just blow the other team away. Like something shifts at halftime and they come out on fire and they dominate the second half and end up winning the game. And because of movies, because of pop culture, so many of us think that it's because the coach gave this rousing speech. Like, man, what a, what a halftime speech that must have been. He must have gave the pep talk of all pep talks. He inspired the fire out of those players. But if you've ever been in the locker room, you know it's very, very different than that. Most of the time, those halftime speeches are anything but motivational. Very, very rarely are they inspirational or motivational at all. Typically, if you go into the locker room at halftime, what you're going to see is the coaches sitting down with their players getting very, very technical. Here's what we were doing wrong in the first half. Here's what we need to adjust. You see this player out there. You need to mark him. You need to watch him. We got to shut that one down. This is what I need you to do. Let's, let's, let's improve over here. Let's focus on this. It's very technical. It's not very motivational. What we need in our life is not more motivation. We don't need, don't be afraid. We need some technical. We need some practical. We need to know how do we fight fear? How do we, how do we deal with fear? Because what we're doing is we're teaching people how to fight fear at the wrong level. We're teaching people the wrong tools in dealing with fear. Now, yes, there is a mental element to fear. There's an element of fear that is all in the head, but that's not where the battle began. What we've got to do is we've got to go to the beginning. We've got to go to, to where, where does fear originate and we've got to fight it at its root if we're going to be successful at overtaking it 
in our brain. So let me show you the second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul teaches it like this. For though we walk in the flesh, so that we live in this natural body, this physical body, he says, we do not war. We don't fight according to the flesh or according to the physical. So what Paul is saying is it is foolish. Like it is idiotic to try to fight a spiritual battle in the physical realm. Like if you're going to fight, like you're not going to shoot the devil with a gun. It's just not going to work out. You don't fight a spiritual battle in a physical realm. Well, let me say it like this. It's just as foolish to try to fight a spiritual battle in the mental realm, in the mental battlefield, in the mental arena, in the mental world. It doesn't work. Why? Because it is spiritual. He goes on to say in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare. So we've got weapons that God has given us. They're not carnal. They're not physical. They're they're not of this world. They're not natural, but they're mighty. They're mighty. Mighty means they're effective. They work. If you use these weapons, you will defeat fear. I promise you. If you use the weapon God has given you, you will defeat fear and anxiety in your life. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We did a whole series on strongholds this January. What a stronghold is, is when the devil lies to you. He lies to you. When you believe the lie, then you establish a thought process that destroys you. You see, the devil can't touch you. All the devil can do is lie to you. And what he does is he gets you to beat yourself up through believing a lie. When you believe the lie, you establish thought processes that destroy your life. And that's exactly how fear works. Think about it like this. God gave you your mind. God gave you the mind that you have. God gave you a mind that has the ability to imagine. You have imagination with your mind. You have creativity with your mind. What Satan is trying to do is get you to use your imagination against yourself. So instead of using your imagination for faith, what so many of us do is we use our imagination for fear. How many times do you sit around and you imagine the worst case scenario? You imagine something bad happening. You imagine things going from bad to worse. What Satan has done is he's lied to you and he's got you to use your imagination against yourself. What if you used your imagination to dream big dreams for God? What if you used your imagination to bless people and to be generous and and just live an incredible life for the kingdom of God? What would happen if you used the imagination that God gave you for faith? Here's the point. Number two, you can't fight a spiritual battle in the mental arena. It's not going to work. Again, that's why we tell you it's not about a pep talk. It's not about, hey, don't be afraid. No, no, you don't fight spiritual battles in the mental arena. You fight spiritual battles in the spiritual arena. You got to fight in the right arena. But there's another trick or another another principle to this, not a trick, but another key to this is you don't just fight in the right arena, but you also have to fight with the right equipment. You've got to use the right weapons for the right battle. In our church, we have a lot of people in the military, in our church family, and they will tell you there there's different weaponry for different battlefields. You can fight in the air, you can fight at sea, you can fight on the land, you can do you know long range fighting on the land, short range fighting on the land, insertions on the land, and based on the type of combat mission you're in, will determine the type of weapons and equipment that you use. It's the same with sports, athletes. They have all sorts of different types of equipment for sports, but you've got to use the right equipment for the right sport. You don't see Tiger Woods using a baseball bat on the PGA Tour. Why? Because it's not going to help him win. It's the wrong equipment for the wrong event. We have to use the right weapons for the right battles in our life. Ephesians 6 puts it like this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love this. I love this. God is commanding you to be strong, but here's the good news. Anytime God commands you to do something, he always supplies you with the ability to do it. 
God never asks you to do anything without first giving you everything you need to be able to do it. So he says, be strong, not in your own strength, but be strong in the Lord's strength. Be strong in his might, in his, this is a picture of grace. Yes, we are to be strong, but the strength that we are to be strong with is his and he gives it to us. He goes on to say, put on. So now he's gonna show you how you be strong in the Lord. He's gonna show you how you use the power of his might. If you wanna use the power of his might to fight the battles that you're gonna face in life, put on, you've gotta do this, put on the whole armor of God. Now it's his armor, it's his weaponry. He gives it to you, but you have to decide to put it on that you may be able to stand. If you don't put it on, you're not gonna stand. If you don't put on the armor of God, fear is gonna take, you're not gonna be able to stand in the face of fear. Fear is gonna debilitate you. Fear is gonna destroy you. Fear is gonna eat away at your life. You will not be able to stand. And again, I'm tired of the Christian cliche that, that we just, we throw cliches out at people without really helping them understand how do I do this? I've heard from so many people, we, we just need God's help. We just need God's help to fight the battle. What does that mean? Uh, like, 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 what does that mean? What does it mean we need God's help? Like, it's easy to throw that one liner out there. You just need God's help. I don't know how many times, you know, I've been in the middle of something and I've had some, you know, Christian, well-meaning, just ignorant, tell me, well, you just need God's help. Well, obviously I need God's help. Tell me how I get God's help. Like it's one thing to tell me I need his help. It's another thing to show me and teach me how I actually use his help. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying God wants to help you, but you've got to put on the armor. If you don't put on the armor, you're not going to be able to stand. So if you want God's help, put on his armor. He's giving it to you. He's giving you the strength. He's giving you the ability. You have to make the decision to put it on. It's God's armor that gives you the ability to stand. It says, stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles. Now, the word wiles is tricks. It's, it's lies. Again, Satan cannot touch you. He cannot beat you. What Satan does is he tricks you into beating yourself. Remember, he can't touch you. All Satan can do is lie to you. And if you believe the lie, you end up punishing yourself. It forms a stronghold in your life. So here's the third point that we're going to close with today. You need a spiritual weapon to fight a spiritual battle. The first thing is you, is you got to realize that if you're going to fight fear, you got to fight it in the right arena. The fear is a spirit and you got to fight the spirit of fear in a spiritual arena, in a spiritual realm. You can't fight fear in a mental arena. But number three is you need a spiritual weapon to fight a spiritual Battle, And I'm gonna show you exactly how Jesus did this in the Bible. Jesus used spiritual weapons in the Bible. Like if anybody could have fought the devil with, with sheer personality alone, with sheer, look, I'm God's son, you're not coming against me, it would have been Jesus. But what Jesus did is he models for you and I how to use the armor of God, how to use the weapons of God in battle. Now, when you study Ephesians 6, all of the armor up until verse 17 is all defensive. It's helmets, it's shields, it's breastplates, it's belt. It protects you from attack. There are two weapons at the end that are offensive in nature. And again, if you're gonna fight somebody that is attacking you, you need to have an offensive weapon to fight them back. So here's what Jesus does. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6. Here's the offensive weapon. I'm gonna show you that Jesus uses to fight the devil. He models it for us. It says the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's the revelation I had recently. For years of my life, I thought, you know, the sword of the spirit was, was the Bible. Like the sword of the spirit is the Bible. No, the Bible gives you the capacity to use the sword of the spirit, but this book alone is not the sword of the spirit. Here's what I mean. When you study verse 17 in the original Greek language, in the Greek language, there's two different Greek words for the word word. I know that's confusing, but there's two Greek words for the word word. There's the Greek word logos. Logos is the written word. 
So anytime you see logos in the New Testament, it's talking about the written word of God, the Bible that we have in our hand. But there's another Greek word, it's the Greek word rhema. Rhema is the spoken word of God or the revealed word of God. When you look at verse 17 here, what it says, the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema, which is the spoken word of God. It's not the Bible alone that is the sword of the spirit. It's when you take God's word and you speak it out loud, when it comes out of your mouth, it becomes a sword in your hand. And remember, fear is a spirit. So if you're gonna fight fear, you need to fight it with a spiritual weapon. Well, this is the sword of the spirit. When we take God's word, we speak it out loud. Let me show you this in the life of Jesus. Because again, too many people are trying to resist fear mentally. They're trying to motivate themselves out of fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It does not work that way. You need a weapon. You need a sword. Look at Jesus. Luke chapter four, verse one. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Let me say something about that for a moment. Even Jesus was tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. Being tempted is not a sin. What you do with the temptation, if you give in to the temptation, it becomes sin in your life. But being tempted is not a sin. Even Jesus was tempted. So you're gonna be tempted in life. You're gonna be attacked by the tempter, by, by the devil trying to trick you into temptation. So how did Jesus fight the temptation? Well, it says, he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Jesus was a man. He, he was physical flesh and blood. He got hungry just like you and I, and he just got done doing a 40-day fast. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, what is the devil doing? The devil's trying to get him to use his own body against himself. Think about it. You fast for 40 days, you eat bread, your body can go into shock and die. Like when you fast for 40 days, you, you gotta come up, you, you don't just go to solid food immediately. You come off slowly from a 40 day fast or, or it could destroy your body. So he's trying to use Jesus's body against him, which could have killed him. But Jesus answered, now look at Jesus. He uses the sword of the spirit here. It is written. Jesus didn't give his own opinion. Jesus didn't talk about how he felt or his own emotions. Jesus didn't attack the devil even with his own words. He used God's word. He used Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What did Jesus do? He used the sword of the spirit. What did Satan do? Satan moved on. Satan realized, I'm not gonna get a foothold in Jesus's life with that temptation. I need to come up with a new strategy. And so he moved on to a different type of temptation because he realized Jesus cut that one down with the sword. Now, let me say something about Jesus. Jesus was very, very skilled at using the armor of God. Jesus was skilled at using the weapons of God. You and I are not as skilled. We're, we're still learning. We're still training. We're still practicing. We're not as proficient with all this armor and all these weapons as Jesus was. So there are times when, when fear comes against us and temptation comes against us. It's not going to be just one time it is written. And then all of a sudden it's gone. No, it's, it's going to come back. And so we've got to use the sword at times over and over and over to fight that area until it's gone permanently. So I just don't want you to think that all you gotta do is say it one time like Jesus and it's gone. No, no, no. Jesus was much more skilled at using the armor than we are. We're gonna learn to use it and we're training and we're getting stronger and better at using it. But there are times where you're gonna have to fight the battle a little bit longer than Jesus had to fight the battle because fear is gonna come back and test you. But the key here is we've gotta learn to use the tools that are available to us. See, many people are trying to fight the battle with the wrong tools. Let me give you an example. There is a time and a place for prayer. Prayer is one of the offensive weapons that we have. Prayer is an incredible tool that God has given you. 
And there's a time and place for prayer, praying over when we're wrestling with with God's will for our life, when we're praying over direction for our business or, or guidance for our family. There is a place to use prayer. But there are times where you're under a direct attack from the enemy and prayer is not the weapon that you need to be using. You need to pull out a sword and you need to fight back with a sword. You see, when fear attacks, you don't pray, oh God, please take the fear away. Oh God, please take the fear away. No, no, no. God is looking at you saying, pull out your sword. Pull out your sword. I've given you a sword to fight fear with. Pull out your sword. You have everything you need to defeat fear. So I hope you understand what I'm saying there. Prayer is powerful. And there is a place to fight with prayer, but there is a place to fight with the sword. With the, with the sword of the spirit, God's declared word into the situation. And when you're on a full frontal attack of the enemy, that's not the time to say, God, God, please take fear away. That's the time to declare, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but God has given me the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I take God's word and I turn it into a sword. Use the tools that God has given you. I mean, think about it. If you come over to my house and you've got a two by four and you want to cut that two by four, I'm not going to give you a butter knife to cut the two by four. We're going to go get one of my power saws and we're going to cut that thing. Why? Because it's the right tool for the job. See, one of the problems with Christianity today is people are using the wrong tool for the wrong job and they're not seeing a lot of effectiveness. They're not seeing a lot of victory because they're not fighting with the right weapon and the right arena of battle. Let me tell you a story of one of our board members, uh, Eric Hepfer in our church. He is an incredible man of God in our church. He's one of our kingdom builders. Uh, kingdom builders are, are men and women in our church who just, they've got a passion to build the kingdom. God has gifted them for business. And Eric is one of the most gifted people I know for business. This guy dreams numbers. He dreams business deals. He's seen some of the most incredible supernatural favor on the different deals he's done. And and here's why he does it. He believes God blesses him financially so that he can advance and finance the kingdom of God. And so he really believes that his ability to do business deals is a spiritual gift that God has given him to fund and finance God's kingdom. And he uses it that way. Now, here's the thing. Eric is a tither. Tithers are people who return to God the first 10%, not because we have to, but because we want God's protection and we want God to be first in our life. If you are a tither, there are swords that are available to you in scripture. Now, soon as COVID-19 hit, Eric has a business deal that he's been working on for a number of months. Soon as COVID-19 hit, all of a sudden that deal was in jeopardy. That deal was about to fall apart because of just the climate of where everything is at right now and economy and, and business. And, and, and it just, it, it, was a, it was something that was very significant. He'd been working on for a while, just began to fall apart. So what did Eric do? He pulled out a sword. He pulled out a weapon that is available to tithers. Malachi 3 verse 11. Here's what, here's what God's word says. Your crops, and it's talking about tithers. He said, bring the whole tithe, and then here's what I'll do. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So he just made a decision. He was sharing this with me this week. I just started declaring My crops will not be taken by disease, by COVID-19, or by anything, but God's supernatural protection is on my finances. God's supernatural protection is on my business. God's supernatural protection is on my career. And he just began to quote Malachi 3.11 over his business. He began to quote Malachi 3.11 over his career. He began to quote Malachi 3.11 over this business deal. And all of a sudden he told me, the thing is now turning around. It's about to go through. Everyone is back at the table. They're seeing it and things are now moving. Why? Because he took a sword. He took a sword. He took a weapon that is available to tithers and he began to fight. Let me, let me show you one more story in the Old Testament. The Old Testament of our Bible takes uh, the spiritual realities we live out in the New Testament and gives us natural stories to illustrate them. So let me show you a natural story of using the sword of the spirit 
in the physical. 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9 and 10. This is talking about King David's mighty men. David had some incredible soldiers in his, in his army, like incredible, like special forces guy that did unbelievable stuff. And there was three that were considered the mightiest. And here's one of the three. This is after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now, how would you like to be the son of Dodo? Like, like I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to be the son of Dodo. But Eleazar was the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, and he was one of the three mighty men with David. Now, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, the men of Israel retreated. So all of David's army retreated. The Philistine army is standing there. David's army retreats. They're scared. They panic. They run. But Eleazar, the son of Dodo, he arose and he attacked the Philistines by himself. He attacked an entire army as one man. And it says, until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. His hand froze to the sword. He fought all day long by himself and against an entire army until his hand clung, froze to the sword. Now, let me ask you a question. Who had the sword? Eleazar. Eleazar had the sword and he had to fight all day long with that sword. What that shows me is there's going to be times where you're going to fight a battle and it's going to last all day long. You're going to fight a battle and it's going to, and it's not going to be short. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be like Jesus. It's not going to be a simple, it is written. And all of a sudden the devil's going to run. No, you're going to have to fight some battles in your life. Jesus only had to speak it once. Some of us are going to fight it for a little while. That's what happened with Eleazar. But look at the next line. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. So let me ask you one more question. Who won the victory, Eleazar or God? Who won the victory, Eleazar or God? Some of you say Eleazar, some of you say God. Here's the answer, they both did. They both won the victory. What do I mean? God won't fight if you don't fight. God won't fight if you don't fight. One of my favorite quotes from a pastor that I love and admire who's changed my life, Pastor Joseph Prince, I love the way he says it. He says, without him, meaning Jesus, we cannot. So without him, we can't do anything. But at the same time, without us, he will not. So we can't do anything without him, but he won't do anything without us. You see, this is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6. He says, be strong in the Lord, put on the armor. You're going to have to fight. Now, the good news is you're fighting with God's armor. You're fighting with God's weapons. You're fighting with God's strength. You're fighting with God's power. So you're guaranteed victory if you do it in him, but you're the one that has to fight. And when we do, it says God brought about a great victory that day. So let me end with this. What you say is more important than what you think. What you say, what you declare with your mouth is more important than what you believe or what you think. And here's why. What you say determines what you think. Remember verse two of Psalm 91, I will say, I will trust. If you're not saying, you're not trusting. If you're not trusting, it's because you're not saying. This is how we turn Psalm 91 into a weapon. You see, it's not enough to pray Psalm 91. We need to declare Psalm 91. Psalm 91 was not intended to be a prayer. It was intended to be a sword. That's why during this season, I've asked our entire church to quote Psalm 91, declare it out loud over themselves every day during the season. Get it on them. Not as some magic potion or, 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 or some, you know, chanting that, that's going to work because of the ritual of it. No. You're declaring the truth of God's word over your life, over your circumstance, and all of a sudden that truth is becoming the sword. I told you that I had my son, Asher, right now. He's memorizing 2 Timothy 1.7, and here's why. He's been dealing with a lot of fear at night. 
He's been, he's been tormented by a spirit of fear at night. And, and, and what, what the devil is doing against him is actually using something from God and making him afraid. He, he's, he's dealing with the concept of eternity. And, and again, the concept of eternity, living forever after we die, that, that's hard for the human mind to fully comprehend. And it's creating fear in the mind of my son. Like, like how do I, how do I process this living forever? I don't know if I want to die. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that's going to be like. So what Satan has done is taken something good from God and made him afraid of it through the spirit of fear. And to be very honest, for a while, he would come to me in the middle of the night. He would wake me up to three o'clock in the morning dealing with this fear. And honestly, I failed him because I tried to motivate him out of it. I tried to give him the spiritual pep talk. You don't need to be afraid. Eternity is a good thing. You're going to love it. That's God's gift to you. Don't be afraid. I didn't realize that I was giving him mental weapons to fight a spiritual battle and it wasn't working. You know, I can't motivate somebody out of fear. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, I need to put a weapon in my son's hand. I need to give him a sword to fight this enemy with. And so I had to memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then I told him, keep your Bible next to your bed at night. And anytime you feel that fear come on you, I want you to quote 2 Timothy 1.7, and then I want you to read Psalm 91 out loud. Since he's begun doing this, he hasn't dealt with the fear. It's not come back. He's getting the victory over that fear. Why? Because no longer am I trying to motivate him out of fear with a pep talk, but I'm giving him real weapons to fight a real battle. He's dealing with the spiritual enemy and I put the sword of the spirit in his hand. Telling you right now, church, you wanna fight these battles, you gotta fight them the right way. God will give you everything you need. God will give you the strength. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the armor. He'll give you the weapons. You've gotta make the choice to put them on and use them in battle. And if you do, you will conquer this enemy that has been paralyzing you with fear, with anxiety. It doesn't matter what the attack is, what the battle is, use it against addiction. Use it against anything. Take God's word and begin to declare it. There is a verse for every battle that you face. Eric found a sword for the battle he was facing financially over his career. My son found a sword for the battle he was facing with fear that was tormenting him. There is a sword for every situation you deal with in life. Now, as we end today's service, let me take a moment and talk to those of you that are not Christ followers. There are some of you watching this message right now and you're not a Christian. I want you to understand a reality. You can't use spiritual weapons if you're not spiritually alive. Your spirit has to be alive if you're gonna use spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. Now you're being attacked. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with fear. And everything I talked about today is available to you, but it starts in one place and that is Jesus. You see, the Bible is very clear. When we're born on earth, our, our, our physical body is alive, our soul is alive, but when we're born on earth, our spirit is dead. Our spirit is dead. And it's dead because we're born under a curse of sin because of what Adam and Eve did in a garden 6,000 years ago. That's why Jesus says you must be born Again, your spirit has to be born again. Your spirit has to, has to come alive, the Bible says. And the only way for your spirit to come alive is for you to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord, for you to submit and surrender your life to Jesus. And when you make that decision to receive Jesus' forgiveness, to receive his grace, to make him the Lord of your life, all of a sudden your spirit comes alive. And all of these spiritual weapons become available to you to fight the battles that you're gonna face in this life. So I can't encourage you enough today, today to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to receive his love and his forgiveness. He loves you. He wants all of this for you. He wants to help you fight the battles of your life. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the weapons. He'll give you the everything you need. He will provide. If you'll just give him your life and receive his forgiveness 
today. If that's you, I wanna, I wanna just stop for a moment and say a prayer with you. Wherever you're at, whether you're in your home, whether in your bedroom, whether you're in your living room, whether you're with people or you're all by yourself, if that's you, I want you right now just, just to say this prayer with me. And I want you to say this out loud. Say, Jesus, today, I give you my life, all of my life. I choose to make you my Lord. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you'll never hold my past against me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you're watching on our live platform, there's a little area where you can raise your hand and say, I made a decision for Jesus today. Would you raise your hand to encourage everyone out there so that they can see your response to join the family? And then I want you to request prayer. You can hit that request prayer button and talk to somebody on our prayer team. Let them pray with you. What I know about this faith journey is the way Jesus designed it is he designed it for us to do in community. You're not gonna survive a spiritual journey on your own. God didn't design it that way. God designed you to be part of his body, to be connected. And when you're connected, you grow. When you're connected, if my hand gets disconnected, my hand loses all of its life and it stops growing. But as long as the hand is connected to the arm, there's life and there's growth. The same is true for you. When you prayed that prayer, your spirit came alive. Now it's time to connect to the body so that you can begin to grow and mature and become everything God wanted you to be and be able to stand against all of the tricks and the lies of the enemy. I'm so proud of you for making that decision today. I want you to know that as a church, we love you and we are going to be praying for you. So let us know if you made that decision today. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Look forward to being back with you next week. All week long, by the way, if you wanna join me at night, every night, Monday to Friday at seven o'clock, we receive communion together on my Instagram and my Facebook account. I'd love you to join me, seven o'clock. Let's receive communion together. Love you guys.